from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us today. What's up, fellas? What's up, Cody? Good to have you on the show, brother. What's up, Cody, my guy? What you got for us today? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. At episode 14, the Nats take the lead, Kawhi best LeBron, and we would recap week eight in college football. But we began in a flurry of trades in the NFL with the trade deadline on the horizon. Last week, we saw the Rams trade Marcus Peters of the Ravens and acquire Jalen Ramsey several hours later. This week, we've seen the Patriots and 49ers pick up veteran wide receivers, while the Texans and Raiders added secondary help. So, Drink, which contending team has improved the most based on the trades we've seen so far? Hey, man, I'm going to have to go with that old New England Patriots. I know people, you know, they're tired of the Patriots. they they like, hey, we hope Tom Brady get hit by a Mack truck, but here's the deal. Bill Belichick wanted the best to do it for a reason, and this is what he did. He, he, he needed some help in the wide receiver court. He went out and got a veteran that was, you know, he might have gave up a, a lot on the opinion. People say, hey, you give up a second rounder for a 30-plus-year-old wide receiver, that's a bit much. However, I think he is a guy that can immediately impact that wide receiver court. And don't forget, he can throw the ball, too. I actually had him on my fantasy team when he was with Cincinnati. He threw a couple of touchdowns. You remember that. Either way, I think New England, they 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 definitely um they boasted something that they need. Tom Brady been asking for a target to throw to, another one in a way to throw to. Uh we know that Josh Gordon, we found out he would be done for the season. So Tom Brady said, Hey Bill, help me out, baby. Give me somebody. And they went out and made a trade. So <clears throat> I'm going to have to go with the, the Patriots on that. But if I want just to squeeze in, squeeze in um, a close second, I got I want to give a good shout-out to the Ravens for getting Marcus Peters. I know it's a little high sight 2020, but he seems to be helping Marlon Humphreys very well. Yeah, I like. Uh, I agree with you on your Marcus Peters pick. I would put him. I would put that acquisition second right now, especially when you consider what he was able to do uh, this past weekend against the Seattle Seahawks, intercepting Russell Wilson for the first time this year. Uh, I, I got to be honest with you. I think you picked the wrong uh, team in the receiving category. I'm going to go with the 49ers, and I'm going to go with uh, Emmanuel Sanders, pick this man up from the Denver Broncos. Look, from a, few, from a pure talent uh, perspective, there's no way that Mohamed Sanu is better than Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders, to me, if you give him a quarterback that can throw him the football consistently, and I believe Jimmy Garoppolo has that capability. He can still be a number one in this league. Go ahead. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've never said Muhammad Sanu was a better wide receiver than Emmanuel Sanders. Okay. That, well, that, well, that's part the, of my argument. The transaction, the transaction, 
Any player that goes to the defending, yeah, you know the defending champ. That's fine. That's fine. And if, yeah, and if you're gonna lean on that, that hey, I can't dispute that because listen, any wide receiver that goes to the New England Patriots, I could ship this printer up to the New England Patriots right now, and Tom Brady would find a ball, would find a way to complete passes to him. There's no disputing that. But listen, look, the one, the one thing, the San Francisco 49ers were missing was a bona fide wide receiver to help that passing game because they really don't have a proven guy on the outside. We understand they got George Kittle on the inside doing his thing. Outside the numbers, not so much. A lot of young guys who are unproven to this point. So, and then when you also add in the compensation that we're looked at, uh, the Broncos and the Falcons got respectively, the Falcons made out pretty good with a second round pick. You did, uh, I, I'm a little surprised that Bill Belichick went that high to get a guy who, at best in Atlanta, was the third option. And don't forget, in Cincinnati years ago, he was the third option there as well behind the likes of A.J. Green and Marvin Jones. Let's not forget that. But you're absolutely right. Going to New England, I expect him to do well. And, any, again, any wide receiver that goes up there, uh, Tom Brady's going to find a way to get him the football. He's going to be effective. But look, if you look at the 49ers, the one thing that they were lacking, because you look at this team, up front, they can block, they can run block to perfection. They got a great running game with Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman back there. We mentioned Kittle already. And then defensively, they've just been uh, nothing short of spectacular so far with the way that they can straight lock you down. The one missing ingredient was a wide receiver to me. They got one. They got a, they got a guy who's still, even at his age, and surprisingly coming off that Achilles injury. Listen, I've seen him this year. He looks explosive. He gets lost in the shuffle a little bit in that mess of a Denver Bronco offense that we've covered recently. But make no mistake about it, Emmanuel Sanders got a lot of game with. Wait, wait, man, don't be so disrespectful. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl, man. Hey, I mean, what do he want? He got one. He got one Super Bowl quarterback, Peyton Manning. He get a next. He get another one, Joe Flacco. Life ain't all that bad for Emmanuel Sanders. You know what? Since you know, since the power went out in that Super Bowl, we ain't heard from Flacco since. <laughs> man. Well, that all makes sense, guys. So with those trades in the books and the trade deadline in about a week away, uh, what are some other guys you think could be on the move, you know, going in between now and uh, Tuesday? Yeah, I'm looking at, uh, I, I like AJ Green for the Cincinnati Bengals. I know the Bengals have came out and said, look, we, um, I think Zach Taylor said, look, we're not going to trade this guy. Uh, he can help us win football games. Uh, that might be true. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the Bengals are in a full-on rebuild right now, uh, and they need to let this man go. The Andy Dalton, A.J. Green uh, days, look, we've been there, done that. Uh, it hasn't led to anything all that uh, prosperous. They have, uh, their success has been uh, highly limited. And, look, A.J. Green is still a productive player. I believe he can still be productive when healthy. This is another receiver that should be on the move and – should be in a position far better than what he is right now in Cincinnati because they're going nowhere fast. I also want to throw out a couple corners that I think should be on the move. Patrick Peterson, I just think when I look at the Cardinals, the 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 kind of the timeline and the direction they're headed in, they're they're also in a rebuild. They're not set up to win now. And look, there's enough. There's look. We mentioned this when Jalen Ramsey was on the move, and we talked about a couple teams that were starved for cornerback help. Uh, cornerback help, rather. And we did not mention the Los Angeles Rams. We were talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the fact is, 
both of those teams, particularly the Eagles, are in dire need of cornerback help. So I look at a guy like Patrick Peterson. I also look at Chris Harris. I know John Elway came out and said there, there, there really isn't a big market right now for him. I don't know why Chris Harris can still play in this league. When you put him in the slot, he's still among the best that can get it done out there. He's a great all-around uh, defensive back, and those are a couple guys I see that should be on the move. All right. So I went, I went over this list, but I got a question for you, Cody. If you, if you had to just off the top of your head, how many teams in the NFL you think need a left tackle at this point? I'd say in any given year, you could name probably five to ten that we could use one. Uh, at least three or four of them would be in dire need of help, and about four or five more could definitely stand to use an upgrade for the right price. And, and I agree. So for me, I'm going to have to go Trent Williams. I know. I got it. The Redskins out here, I don't know what they're doing. This this crap is starting to look like the Melvin Gordon holdout. Just a, a, a doggone show over here. Just a clown show. Here's the deal. This guy has the, the supreme talent to go help one of these teams, whether it's a contender or a pretender, whichever one you want to call it. He can help one of these teams immediately get better on that offensive line. Let's be real here. In today's NFL, you cannot get nothing done unless you got an offensive line. You got a, a supremely talented offensive tackle out here waiting to play because he refused to play with Washington. Evidently, Washington said, we refuse to let you play with anybody else. So you decide what you want to do because you only getting older, and we still going to be the Washington Redskins. Right. A.K.A. So, trash. A.K.A. hot smoking trash. Man. <laughs> so <laughs> with that said, we wish the Dolphins wasn't in the NFL because then we'll get the first pick. Either way, here's the deal. Like, <laughs> I, I have to go with Trent Williams because I, I got to believe that the Redskins have got more than enough offers for this guy. And I'm, a, I'm just a big believer that these offensive linemen are very important. So when I when I look at a future trade or a future move that needs to be made, it got to be Trent Williams. He, he needs to be on a team that can utilize his talent. All right, guys, let's turn to baseball, where the Washington Nationals took a 1-0 lead in the World Series with a 5-4 victory over the Houston Astros in Game 1. The pitching matchup of Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer captured the headlines coming in. However, a three-hit, three-RBI game from Nationals left fielder Juan Soto stole the show and home field advantage from the Astros. So, Jay, let's start with you. How concerned should the Astros be after losing Game 1? I'm not all that concerned, even though uh, losing Game 1, I believe, um, over the past several years, I believe 64% of the teams that win game one go on to win the World Series. Uh, I'm a little surprised it's not that it's, it's not higher than that. But when I when I look at the Houston Astros, listen, this is a team that wire to wire, it was the best team in baseball. Uh, and you look at them, they're battle tested. Two years ago in the World Series, they lost game one against the Los Angeles Dodgers. They come back and win that series in seven. This season, just uh, one series ago, they lost game one against the New York Yankees. They come back and win that series in six. So this is a familiar position to them. And quite honestly, it might be a position that they prefer. I believe in the American League Championship Series a year ago against the Boston Red Sox, they, uh, they won game one and then turned around and lost the next four to the Red Sox, who ultimately went on to win, win the World Series. Uh, there, is, there is some level of concern here. If I went uh, scale of one to ten, ten being the highest level of concern, I'm going to go with three. It, it's a little concerning because of the, in the last series, they lost game one with Zach Grinke, who's your number three starter. So you lose that game, and you figure J, uh, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, respectively, 
could come back and win games two and three for you, which they did. Uh, now with Garrett Cole losing his first start since May 22nd, you're in a little bit more precarious situation because you now got to rely on your two and three in Verlander. And now you actually now you need Granky. It's going to be imperative for those guys to come out in the next couple of days uh, and pitch well and miss some barrels of the Washington Nationals, who we got to give this team credit. They came out there last night with a good approach. Uh, they didn't swing and miss a whole lot. Cole could only strike out six, which that's also his lowest strikeout total since I think that's his lowest strikeout total since August 1st when he struck out four against the Cleveland Indians. So it's been a while since he struck out that few in a game. Uh, the Nationals came out there. They did a great job against him, uh, particularly when you look at the, the young man Juan Soto, who turns 21 on Friday. It, th- this guy don't play like he's uh, 2021. He played like he played like a veteran should. He came out there, uh, got blown away in his first at bat uh, on a 99 mile per hour fastball on the outside edge. Came up the next time. He was geared up. He was ready for the fastball, and uh, he deposited that fastball uh, on the train tracks in a minute made part, a man, a towering shot. And when you look at him and what he's able to do, hitting the ball to all, to all fields, listen, all three of his hits last night, he didn't, none of them were put to the pole side. He had one single up the middle and his home run and his double off the wall were to the left or to the left field side. So uh, really impressive young man. He definitely stole the show, as you mentioned, because coming in, we thought the pitching matchup between Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole would be what we paid attention to. And quite honestly, those guys were not quite as effective as we thought they, they would be. Uh, again, Garrett Cole, his worst start in uh, since late May. Uh, Max Scherzer, give, give this guy credit. Uh, he battled uh, after giving up two runs in the first inning. Uh, the Astros put men on base in the second, third, and fourth against him. And time and time again, he just slammed the door on him and ended up uh, getting five innings for him. So, but back, back to the question, it will be it will the level of concern will raise exponentially if the Astros cannot come back and win game two tonight. And just for the record, the past two series, the past two series that I mentioned against the Dodgers in 2017 and the Yankees last series, they lost the Astros lost game one. They came back in game two and won in dramatic fashion. We're talking about game two, and that is tonight. We're going to see Verlander go against Strasburg. So, uh, Drake, what are you watching for tonight in game two? Well, you know, it's very interesting that you asked me that, and I was thinking to myself, what would I watch? And then Jay made up point, and now I'm thinking, hmm. So you said, you you mentioned that they lost game one last year, and they lost game one of the last series. Could you, could you give me the, the name of those two starting pitchers? For the listeners, please. Uh, it, in game one against the Yankees, it was it was Zach Greinke, the last series. Now, I believe, uh, I'm not 100% sure on this, but two years ago against the Dodgers in the World Series, I want to say Justin Verlander started that game. All right. Now, when Justin Verlander lost that game, was he the best pitcher on the staff? He was. Again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that. But definitely, you're, I know where you're going. And your point on... Oh, 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 let me make my point. I let you make yours. You let me make my point, man. Let me make my point. Go ahead. All right? God, trying to steal all the sauce over here. Look, here's the deal. <laughs> so you already know where I was going. I'm still going that way. Look, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher on this team by far. 
Would you agree or disagree? It's it, it's not by far. It's close. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but look, it's close. Um, since Garrett no, Cole's, it's back, it's since Garrett no. Cole's last loss, he's been the best pitcher in baseball. I don't, I don't give a rip about that. Is he the best pitcher on this team or not? Right now, I'd say yes. Right now. Yeah, whatever. Listen, you're going to say from a scale of 1 to 10, it's about a 3. Your best pitcher just played last night. Didn't play his best game. Now you got the second best pitcher playing tonight. If he go out here and get rocked, I'm sorry to say, needless to say, this series looked a little closer to over than it does not over. So with all that said, I just want to say I think the scale should be up a little higher, more like a five from one to ten. But anyway, game two. My question was game two, all right? I just want to throw that out there, sprinkle a little salt on that, all right? Game two. We got we – got, um, yeah. here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at Verlander to come – and bring it home for the Astros. That's what I'm looking for. Plain and simple. He got to get the job done tonight. He got to get the job done. Because we just said, they go down 0-2, it might be time to call this baby. Because who else do the Astros got on this? I mean, I know they're going to roll Grinky out. They have to. But then who else do you got on this this pitching staff that you see as a savior once oh, these two go down? So to, uh, to be fair to Zach Grinky, and I know he hasn't been – he hasn't pitched as well as he's capable of pitching. But look, they, they acquired this guy at the trading deadline to bolster this rotation even more. And he's got the capability of doing that. Also, we got to take into consideration the Astros pitched a bullpen game in game six against the Yankees. And coming into that game and coming into that series, even the thought was the New York Yankees in that type of game would have a significant edge. And the Yankees lost that game. The Astros come out there, they throw Brad Peacock early, they bring in Josh James, they bring in Presley, Jose Arquiti gave him several good innings, the young rookie. So the Astros are capable in game four, which I could it could be a bullpen game. We'll see what AJ Hintz wants to do after game three. But look, I'm and I'm I'm hundred percent with you on this point. Being behind 2-0 as opposed to 1-0 is a totally different ball game. And my level of concern, again, will be raised exponentially because that, that's a significant hole you're going to be, you're going to have dug for yourself, particularly when you consider the Houston Astros come in with home field advantage and they've already lost that home field advantage by virtue of losing game one. So back to the original question, Cody. Look, it's Verlander's show. He need to make it happen tonight. And if he don't make it happen tonight, the city of Houston will be on that on that back, all right? So that's what I'm watching for tonight. I think the listeners should watch for the same action because I think he is the, the biggest part of game two. So I want to go – Yeah, I just want to talk about we, – we mentioned Garrett Cole a little bit and we talked about his struggles. And if you want to put the blame on Garrett Cole, I absolutely got no problem with that because he, I, I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. He wasn't good enough last night when you consider what he's done uh, this season. Look, you mentioned Verland is the second best pitcher on that staff. This is a 1A, 1B type thing. These guys are 1-2 in the Cy Young conversation. And I, I've been on the opinion, I've been of the opinion that I would give Cy Youngs to both of them. I think I think that's how great these guys have been. So, but listen, the Houston Astros offense, you get two runs in the first inning, courtesy of Yuli Gurriel uh, hitting a double off the left field wall. You know this team left 11 men on base last night in comparison to Washington Nationals left four men on base. There were so many opportunities that they let get away. They couldn't come up with clutch hits. 
The only one who could come up with the clutch hits outside of Gurriel's double was George Springer hitting a solo shot in the seventh inning and then a double in the that just missed being another home run. So I, I'm looking I'm looking primarily at a guy like Alex Bregman, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, did did reach base once via walk, but on far too many occasions, listen, three strikeouts for Alex Bregman, who's a guy who is renowned for his plate discipline and his great batting eye and his ability to put the ball in play. In, in some respects, that was the difference in the game, the ability of the Nationals to put the ball in play more than the Astros and the Astros not being able to take advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves. One more opportunity that went, that went awry. Jordan Alvarez, the young, the young stud, uh, who had a very difficult series against the Yankees, we've been, uh, and we've been critical of him just a bit, but he came out there two for three last night. But the one time he didn't reach base was in the, I believe it was the seventh inning, bases loaded, two outs, and he comes out there and strikes out on three pitches. So that's just, but that's just one example. And again, he's not the only one. I mentioned Bregman. Uh, you can throw Altuve and Correa in there and Brantley as well. I mean, th- look, this lineup is too good and it's too deep to let so many opportunities like this get away from them. They got to be better. Hey, man, you leave Altuve alone. He the hero. He was the hero last series. That's all I got to say about that. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> That's good, guys. Should be a good game, too. <laughs> All right, guys, let's shift to the NBA, uh, where opening night was last night. The defending champion Toronto Raptors began the defense their first NBA title with a title with a 130 to 122 overtime win over the upstart New Orleans Pelicans. That was behind a 34 point performance apiece from Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Later that night, Kawhi Leonard paced his new team with 30 points in 32 minutes as the Clippers defeated the Lakers 112 to 102 in the season's first battle of L.A. So, Drink, we'll start with you. What was your biggest takeaway from the opening night's action? Um, I just want to say, uh, so I don't show total disrespect to this uh, Pelicans and Raptors game, I was a little underwhelmed that uh, John hurt right before the game, whatever. So they took some steam out of it. So I'm just going to go straight to the Lakers and Clippers. Here's the deal. My boy LeBron, I don't know if it was aging. I don't know if it was rust, a combination of both. But he, I don't want to say he didn't bring his game because we we hold him to such a high standard that he can, st- he can bring his game and we still be like, that's it? That's all you got? So... With that said, I did not like the, I guess I didn't like his his uh, his energy level during the totality of the game. You you could tell at some points of the game he was he was tired. He was gassed. Uh, I know it's the first game of the season, so I'm not going to super overreact because it's, it's a long season ahead of us. But he got to do more than that. Now, with that said, not every team the Lakers are going to play is going to be the Clippers as well. I want to throw that out there. This team was the real deal. They was as advertised on defense. They was as advertised with the scrappiness. I mean, hey, all you got to do is look at the bench scoring. The bench scoring will tell you what the real deal is. That, that right there, that line right there will tell you the Clippers ain't coming out here playing. And that's without their second best player. With that said, though, 
with that said, I have to say, hey, LeBron, that was the biggest takeaway for me. He, he kind of just, I don't know, Anthony Davis is kind of like, hey, man, I kind of need y'all here. You know, the other team don't got their second guy. You want to come along with me? Or what, what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Left, right, you know? And LeBron, for some reason, he, he didn't, he, he just didn't have it like I would like him to have it. And I hate to say that because I know my counterpart probably going to look at that stat line and be like, what do you mean he didn't have it? Listen, you know, but my eye said that wasn't the LeBron that I'm thinking going to win the MVP. That LeBron wouldn't even be the last pick of the All-Star game. And so I'm, I'm like, come on, brother. You have to. You got to put it in third gear, fourth gear, one of them suckers, because last night that was not it. So my biggest takeaway is, I need a better LeBron. Yeah, I hope that was just an opening night, LeBron, but I need something better than that for the majority of the season. For a little note-keeping, uh, LeBron finished last night, in case you missed it, with uh, 18 points, 10 re- uh, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal and a block, and 36 minutes of action, but he only did shoot 7 of 19 from the field. Yeah, and that's the, that's the biggest – that's probably the biggest issue is his efficiency. Look, we know LeBron's capable of stuffing the stat sheet on a nightly basis. But I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I didn't like LeBron's uh, energy level. Uh, he didn't look as um as 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 vibrant as maybe we expect in an opening game. Uh, but you're look, it, it's a long season. Uh, there's a, there's a, absolutely a long way to go. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, though, for me, uh, they are the story because they confirmed what I believe about them. I believe the Clippers. Are, I believe the Clippers are going to win the NBA Finals this year because when I look at them and I look at Kawhi Leonard, who I believe this year he has an opportunity because he's in the conversation right now, but he's got the opportunity to go out there and stamp himself as the NBA's best player. And it, look, it appeared to me last night, even without his running mate Paul George, that he was on a mission despite the fact that he was playing – it was technically a home game for the Clippers – but listen, we know the we know LA is a Laker town, and when the Lakers and Clippers get together, it's going to be predominantly a Laker crowd out there. And I I I would venture to say the environment was a little was a bit hostile uh, in there towards the likes of Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers. But you know what? It really don't it really don't matter all that much because who's the one guy that you would look to in the NBA, and is it that that will not phase him? I think it'd be Kawhi Leonard. This guy. Look, this guy's a cold-blooded assassin. He doesn't care. He just goes out there and plays ball. No, no amount of expression, emotion on his face. He just goes out there, gets buckets, and locks his man down. That's all he does. And I, I think, it to me, it's a bit worrisome for the Los Angeles Lakers. that Because coming in, I thought without the services of Paul George, this is a game that they would win. They did not. And you alluded to the uh, to the to the discrepancy in the bench for each team. The Clippers dropped 60 points off the bench, all four dudes that came off the bench. Each player that came off the bench, it was it was Harkless, it was Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, and Jermichael Green. They all shot over 50%, and they all scored in double figures. They were all factors. Meanwhile, the Lakers came out there, and some of this can be attributed to their depth was took a hit last night because they didn't have Kyle Kuzma, they didn't have Rajon Rondo. So perhaps they had to rely on some guys, dare I say, Jared Dudley, who had to come out there and give some minutes for him. Uh, I'm sorry. I I just can't. I'm not going to put too much faith in him. Dudley came out there, hit two three-pointers, 
And then if you look at the box score, there was a whole bunch of donuts out there. It didn't do much else. Minus 20 in the plus minus. Uh, speaking of plus minus, all the Clipper bench guys were positive in the plus minus. All the Laker guys off their bench, they were in the negatives. So and that, the depth of the Los Angeles Clippers, that definitely stood out to me. And listen, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, Kawhi Leonard played like a superstar last night. He was 10 for 19 from the floor, dropped 30 points, and the the two-headed monster of the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean, I believe they got 43 points together, and they were 15 of 40 from the floor. I believe they only had 11 points total after halftime. So, I mean, to, to be quite honest with you, they're fortunate Danny Green came out there and straight lit it up. He had uh, 28 points hit seven threes, including he was five for five from three in the third quarter and route to 16 points in that period, which is when the Lakers made a bit of a run to get back into it. But my, my goodness, if, they, if Danny Green didn't show up last night, it could have been well out of hand because there was nobody else on the Laker roster. And again, part of this can be attributed to not having your third option, Kyle Kuzma there. But there was nobody else out on the floor for the Lakers that you looked at and said, oh, yeah, yeah, give this man the ball. He can get us a bucket. No doubt about it. It, it just didn't happen. The the Clippers, I look at them, they're a little better right now. Uh, Doc Rivers, got to give him the edge in the coaching department. Uh, Frank Vogel up uh, over there, far too many occasions, looking flabbergasted and confused. Uh, looking it, over his shoulder, it, Jason Kidd. I don't know what was going on, but listen, it's the Clippers for me. Um, I do got a question for you, though. Who else in the Clippers starting five scored a double digit outside of Kawhi Leonard? They didn't need to. They got it off on their bench. Hey, don't give me that bull. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, the Lakers clearly they bench decided to, to take the night off. But I mean, at least the starters showed up. I don't know. Look, listen, I, the, I, listen, the Clippers have a lot of firepower off that bench. Wouldn't you agree? When you look at a guy like Lou Williams, how, he, can, how, look, how, he can score the basketball. How could I not agree? They like I saw like a fool. Hey, that's a lie. They ain't got no firepower. They only just scored sixty points last night. It's like. <laughs> I can't deny it. It's right smacking me in the face. <laughs> of course. They got Lou William make any bench look good. No matter who's it on. Who's we didn't on. talk about we didn't and we didn't talk about Rajon Rondo at all. And I think I think Rajon Rondo matters a lot for the Los Angeles Lakers in this respect. LeBron came out there and they ran him at the point last night, starting Danny Green and Avery Bradley in the backcourt. We know those guys aren't point guards and primary ball handlers. Uh, for me, and to help LeBron throughout the season and to keep him fresh for a deep playoff run, I think Rajon Rondo is imperative on this team. I think he's a guy that you can bring in and you can rely upon, and he can come out there and set your offense uh, for the for the predominantly the first three quarters. I, I got no problem if you want to lean on LeBron in the fourth quarter to get things done for you in crunch time because I don't think – to me, the Los Angeles Lakers are going to finish games with – Kuzma, AD, LeBron, and then most likely Danny Green and perhaps Avery Bradley in the backcourt. I don't think you can finish games with Rondo because he's a liability at the free throw line. So, and that, but uh, wouldn't you agree with me that they need Rondo? Oh, absolutely. I, I got it. There's no doubt about it. Um, it's too, when you look at that game last night, you got LeBron. Le, LeBron, he'd have made a living off this. This would made him the best player in the, in the world. Yeah. Like, he can control the pace of any game. You think I'm lying? As Golden State in 2016, he controlled that that whole pace of that that series. That's why they was into that series. And even 
in 2018, when they should have won the first game of the finals, when J.R. Smith decided to go there and get him a little drinky drink, and he blundered that, LeBron was controlling the pace of that game. That's why they was in. They had a chance to win that one. No doubt about it. When you look at that, you say, well, what are we talking about? Rondo has that same problem. I will remind you, the year that New Orleans, the New Orleans Pelicans swept the Portland Trailblazers, that was solely on the effort of Rondo controlling the pace of the series and Anthony Davis giving them what I like to call the business. So with that said, you have to have someone that can control the pace of the game. They didn't have Rondo. I agree with you. He has to show, he has to, I don't know what's going on with his hamstring or calf or whatever. Hey man, put some ice on it. Let's roll. We 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 got a championship to win here. One more one more thing about the Clippers that I want to bring up to you. They strike me as a team that they got some dog in them. And what I mean by that, they got a couple guys that come out there and they just play with a real mean streak that they're not gonna they're not gonna be intimidated by LeBron and AD and the you know the bright lights. Uh, and I'm talking about Patrick Beverly in particular. Listen, this guy came out there and put up two points last night, but his fingerprints are going to be all over every game because he's the head of that defense. He's a guy that sets the tone for them defensively. And and then you look at the fact when Paul George gets back, they're going to have three guys on the perimeter that can just flat out lock people down. I think that's something we got to pay attention to. And then we I mentioned Lou Williams coming off the bench. Montrez Harrell, another guy, bringing so much energy off that bench. And it's got to – I look at it, it's, it's real infectious. It rubs off on the other guys. And I just look at the Lakers right now, and I, I'm excluding LeBron and AD from this because it's got to come from one of those other guys that can provide that lift for you off the bench. I don't really see a guy that can match what Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell do and I'm talking from an energy standpoint. I think Kuzma can probably uh, perhaps match Lou Williams with what he does in the scoring column. But, I mean, I don't know who the Lakers really have that can match the energy and intensity of a Patrick Beverly and a Montrezl Harrell. You got Jason Kidd. Did you say Jason Kidd? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is he getting the uniform? I meant, yeah, I meant somebody be on the court. So now, now, we, now we're going to talk about Jason Kidd going to play and he's going to coach. Because we know he's coaching eventually. That's ultimate grinder status. <laughs> yeah, because the only thing I got for this is uh, for the Clippers, you know, like you were talking about, those guys that play with the edge, I think when you're talking about a, a, a lot of teams, and a lot of things that sometimes get overlooked are the guys that go get loose balls, the guys that are, are always jumping to win those jump balls, always hustling. And it seems like the Clippers with guys like Beverly, Beverly went up last night for a jump ball with Anthony Davis. I mean, he didn't win it, obviously, but come on, that's <laughs> that's big time right there. I mean, you got you got to have guys on your team that'll inspire you and do that dirty work. That I think it's overlooked sometimes. You look at box scores and flashy players and big points. Hey man, you need those dudes in the paint too doing the work. And for the Clippers or for the uh, Lakers, you know, I I wouldn't be sounding the alarm just yet. Like you said, they played against a team uh, that could be a Finals contender. But there's always some of these cracks already showing. You know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, you get to give him almost 30 minutes tonight, he didn't get you a single point. So uh, he, can't, yeah, he, he can't be on the floor. He's a liability. I'm, I'm not sure why he's on the team at all. But but this bench, you know, they gave up a lot to get Anthony Davis here. It's, it's kind of water under the bridge now. But there was a lot of guys and some really useful guys that got traded in that in that trade. And they might be missing that depth down the road. Speaking of the uh, former Pelicans and current Pelicans, uh, New Orleans Pelicans did lose again to the Raptors, 130-122. Any thoughts on that, guys? Start with you, Drink. Um, 
Yeah, I know I made my joke about uh, Zion, mm-hmm. but I would say this. Um, one one thing that I definitely want to hit on is uh, Pascal Siakam. Let's, let's um. We were supposed to get the passing of the torch from Kawhi Leonard to Pascal. Pascal, this is supposed to be his team. Uh, they they signed him to a extension like this is supposed to be his team. And last night, don't get me wrong, he did his thing. He 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 balled. He did his thing. What what he did do that kind of made me feel a little uneasy was he fouled out of the game when the game was still very much in play. And I think. When you when you step up excellence as being the star of your team, you have to remember that you cannot do stuff like fall out of a game like that. Because had a had a New Orleans pulled that game out, the first thing they would have did is said, well, they probably could have won the game if Pascal Siakam not sitting over there on the bench with six falls looking crazy. Now you're gonna put you gotta put the game on Van Fleet. Don't get me wrong, Van Fleet played outstanding last night. But Van Fleet ain't the star. He ain't the guy with the big contract. He ain't the guy that's supposed to move the Toronto Raptors forward. He's considered a role player. You can't put it on him. So it's only two people that's going to get the blame. And one of, it ain't going to be the coach for some reason. It's going to be Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. Why Kyle Lowry? Because he the granddaddy. He the daddy of everybody. So he gets all the blame. He the good or bad. So... Yeah, man, uh, that was the one. The big takeaway I took is when um, Pascal Siakam fouled out. You got to do better as a leader, man. You got to do better. You got to stick around. Yeah, I think uh, Siakam's a guy that I look at, and the contract, when you consider what the uh, the Raptors invested in him, uh, that's a good point. He's got to stay on the floor in those key situations. But, look, he's still a young guy, and he's got to grow into that role of being the guy because uh, last season, look, he was the number two in uh, – to begin the season, I mean, I don't think anyone was really considering Pascal Siakam to be the number two guy on that team. We would look at Kyle Lowry as being that guy. Yeah. Um, but listen, 34 points, 18 rebounds, I mean, that, that's nothing to sneeze at. I, I, dare, you know, dare I say, I got to start putting more respect on Fred Van Fleet's name. I really, really do. This guy, since the Eastern Conference Finals last year, he's been nothing short of sensational. I, I, I just don't – there will be so many times where I watch this guy and he's weaving his way to the basket and contorting himself in such a way for some of these finishes where they don't even make no sense. It's like this guy is, look, he can do his thing from the three-point line and get hot from there. Look, that's fine. When he goes to the basket, though, and he's getting some of these and one finishes, I just just find myself sitting down and shaking my head like, how are these guys, anybody in the NBA, how are you allowing this guy to do this to you? But you got to give him credit. He come out there. He dropped 34 last night as well. Um, man, just just got to start paying attention uh, more to Fred Van Fleet. Um, the Pelicans, uh, the, this is this is a fun team to watch, even without Zion. Uh, I think they went 10-11 deep last night. They play a lot of guys. I, I want to see them play uh, a little bit faster, try to get on the break. They got a lot of young guys. I think they should be able to get up and down on people. Um, Zion being out, absolutely. Um, it made this game way less intrigue. I'm sure the NBA and uh, TNT, they probably were not pleased about it. Um, I think, uh, the, the again, the allure of this game and a reason to watch, it kind of dwindled away without Zion. Uh, I, I just want to go back to the Clippers and Lakers uh, for one sec. I'm already – listen – Western Conference Finals this year, 
And I, I'm just talking about what I want to see. I want to see the Lakers and Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. I, I'm sorry. I know we got Houston out there with their dynamic duo. Denver is no joke. Utah, Utah can play. Uh, we can't forget about Portland. There's a lot of teams out there that may be well-deserving of making a run in the, uh, Western Confer- uh, in the Western Conference. I don't want to see anybody else in the Western Conference Finals. I want to see these two teams. There's no other matchup that can give us the storylines and could give us the stars that this matchup will, especially when you consider, listen, it's the battle for L.A. Who's going to take it? I can't wait for that Christmas game. It does make you wonder if they do get to the NBA Finals or the Western Conference Finals together if uh, they have a travel day or not. <laughs> Play in the same building. <laughs> yep, but, that's uh, right. That's hey, the Clippers be on the road every game. That's every game. Yo, that's yo, that's I like that. that I did. I didn't even think about that. That's. <laughs> hey, but hey, but they can handle it though. Again, Kawhi he ain't gonna shy away from that. No, but I ain't gonna bother any of those guys. They're uh, they seem to be for real. All right, guys, let's uh, go ahead and move on to college football. We're going to recap week eight. We had three top 25 matchups, a huge upset, and some big injuries. So following up from last week's show, let's start with you, Jay. What was your most important takeaway from the weekend? Well, there's a couple. Um, drink, you might, I, I suspect you may want to get into the injury of Tua Tagovailoa. I don't want to take that. I don't want to take that from you. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Wisconsin Badgers falling flat on their face to the Illinois fighting the lion eye. I, I can't remember the last time I had to discuss Illinois in, in any capacity in the in the in a college sports environment. You know, the last time I'm dead serious about this too. The last time in any capacity in college sports that I think I was thinking about Illinois is when Darren Williams and D Brown back in 2005 matched up against with the North uh, matched up against the North Carolina Tar Heels in the NCAA championship game and they went I think they lost that game 75 to 70. That I'm dead serious. That's the last time that I thought about Illinois in any capacity. And I'm going to tell you Wisconsin. I mentioned and I bring up this. I'm going to bring up this because last week we discussed some top 10 teams that we thought would uh, perhaps have some trouble against unranked opponents. I brought up uh, LSU uh, battling Mississippi State and perhaps getting caught up in the fact that they had to, that perhaps they would look ahead to uh, two consecutive games following this week against Auburn and Alabama. Well, that didn't happen. And boy, did I miss the mark on this one because I completely overlooked the fact that after this week, Wisconsin gets Ohio State this weekend. And we'll talk about that uh, in Friday's show. But, I mean, my goodness. I mean, that, that, ha- that has to be some reason that Wisconsin came out there and just laid a complete egg in this game, losing on a last-second field goal. Uh, defensively, this is a team that I think they had four shutouts coming into this game. You, you got four shutouts, and, and now you, you want to come in here and let Illinois drop 24 on you? I mean, 24, I mean, it's nothing to I mean, it's not like they dominated you and they were marching up and down the field. But, I mean, this is this is a game, I mean, when you consider where we're at in the season, this is a devastating loss, even more so than what we saw with Georgia and South Carolina last weekend. It's just devastating because does, can Wisconsin bounce back and beat Ohio State uh, this weekend and get back in the race? Sure they can. But, I mean, you look – Potentially now, when you consider uh, you're also going to have to uh, face 
Ohio State potentially in the Big Ten title game, depending on what happens uh, with Penn State out in the East, it's just a devastating loss because now you're setting yourself up to perhaps have to beat these guys twice. And that's just going to be a tall task. Um, It's disappointing uh, considering how great their defense has been. Uh, We we recognize Jonathan Taylor and what a stud he is in the backfield. And it's just a shame because there's a little bit of steam coming off this Wisconsin-Ohio State matchup because Wisconsin, they they now already have one loss. And again, similar to what I was was alluding to with the Pelicans and Raptors game with no Zion, Wisconsin already having one loss. It makes this game slightly less appealing to me. Well, I want to say this. Christmas came early for uh, Illinois, and I think it was it was because the head coach looked like the Black Santa Claus. Oh man, I completely forgot about that. You, you, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I hadn't seen Lovey Smith since he was coaching the Buccaneers. He didn't have that white beard when he was down there. He, he you are absolutely right. He looked like he should be in a mall come at Christmas time. <laughs> um. But I, to, to, to make it a little serious note, if I can get everybody to come with me and uh, bow your heads in a, in a moment of silence for two of ankles. We pour one out for them. Yeah, um, I feel like, um, I'm sorry, man. I love Tua. Tua, that, that's, that's my guy. I had him number one in the Heisman. But let, let, me be, uh, let me be the first to say, my guy ankles is some Charmin two-ply. All right. Those ankles are the softest in the business. Every time he gets tackled around the shin area, it comes out to be an ankle injury. I don't know what he needs to do. He needs to go um, invest in some titanium ankles or something because uh, this is ridiculous. I, I love. OK, let me let me get off his weak ankles. Here's the deal. Alabama is in a bit of a conundrum here. Now, because of science, Alabama could get good news by the end of the Arkansas game. What do I mean by that? It's a new surgery that's out. It's called a tightrope surgery. This tightrope surgery is a surgery that specializes in the ankle. It speeds up the recovery of the like the loose mani- All right, I, I'm, I'm not trying to get into this doctor thing. Here's the deal. The the surgery is called a tightrope surgery, and what it does is it speeds up the recovery time from an ankle surgery. All right, it, it takes it from like a month to like three weeks. Tua had this surgery on his other ankle last year, right? He had approximately 28 days for the heal between the time he had the surgery and the time they played Oklahoma. The problem this year is he's going to have roughly 20 days between the time he had surgery Sunday morning to the time they play LSU. But he does get that 24-7 around-the-clock medical service because he toured. So I do think he will be back. Now, you ask me, in what capacity will Tua be back? Will he be 100% against LSU? Absolutely not. He will not. But can an 80% or even a 70% Tua get the job done? Yeah, you could. But let's be real here. LSU is a whole different beast this year. Joe Burrow out here slinging the pineapples, folks, and he got two wide receivers that's ready to receive him. And and that defense is it's kind of like Alabama. You would, years in the past we thought you know Alabama was the dominant defense in the run game, and they're gonna get you on out of here. Well, since two have been there, they've changed that philosophy all the way. 
I even seen um, Nick Saban on a road game commercial. Never thought I'd see it. Either way, the philosophy has been changed so much that it's past first now. Now, the problem with that now is here come your, your boy, Mac Jones, coming in as a replacement. Could Alabama beat Arkansas? Absolutely. They should be Arkansas. And I also think this weekend we will see Tua Little Brother. I'll get into that look when we do the, the talks on Friday. But look, man, look, Alabama title hopes took a, uh, took a hit. It took a hit. That thing fell about as far as Tua ankles all the way down. So Alabama title hopes is on the hinge of Tua ankle. Yeah, I, I think. Would, uh... I was going to say, I, I, I do think he's going to come back. I just don't think it's going to be enough to beat LSU. I'm sorry. It would probably be, it would probably be, if they was playing Auburn, it'll be Auburn. If they're playing Florida, it'll beat Florida. I think it'd even be Georgia. But LSU this year, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know. It's going to be rough. Could Alabama win? You're right. They got the GOAT saving. All right? He's gonna, he, he going to do what he do. But, I got to think Alabama took a, a significant hit with two ankle injury this weekend. So yeah. that's, that's my biggest takeaway from this weekend. Yeah, just piggybacking off of uh, all the two subject, because that's a, that's a big deal because and, – and you point to that game. If he, if he can't play in that game against LSU, and even, even if he does, if he's compromised, regar- regardless of what the status of two is, that game most likely decides the SEC West. Wouldn't you agree? Well, not just SEC West. It would decide the SEC West, and I would go as far as to say the winner of that game will be the represent the representative of the SEC in the playoff. So okay. that, that's why that game is going to be really important because I, I understand Georgia. Look, I'm sorry. Georgia can't pass the ball. Needless to say, Georgia cannot throw the ball well enough to beat LSU or Alabama. That's why I'm not even worried about who comes out the East because Florida don't got enough of a run game. Georgia's don't got enough of a pass game to beat either one of those teams. So I feel like whichever one of these teams win that game, that will be your representation of the SEC in the playoffs. Fair enough. And uh, I will say for Florida, they did uh, give LSU quite a game, a team we think might be able to beat Alabama you know, next week or the week after. And uh, they were missing two of the best pass rushers, and they were on the road at night under the lights in Baton Rouge. So – I wouldn't quite sleep on the Gators, but you are right. That running game is real suspect. They've had a lot of injuries, and uh, we're still not sure if Kyle Trask is going to keep up the play he's had. And uh, other than that, guys, only I'd say for Alabama it would be uh, we don't know a lot about Mac Jones, third-year sophomore. We don't really know what he's got. But, hey, there was a point in time where we would have never imagined that Jalen Hurts would have been benched for somebody, especially a freshman. So it's I, I would still say Alabama might still be a favorite by point, point and a half or something, you know, when the first lines come out. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not writing them off or saying they're going to lose until we actually see it. Uh. All right, guys, it's time to finish off tonight with rapid reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. We'll start with you, Drink. Right fielder Aaron Judge refers to the Yankees season as a failure. Is he right? Yes, he's right. They're the New York Yankees. They've won 27 world titles. Contending is not good enough. Lions running back Carrion Johnson was placed on injured reserve after right knee surgery, and he's going to be out until at least mid-December. Is that a big deal? Absolutely. Hey, Matt Stafford been starving for a run game. He was just getting some cooking, and now he got a setback. Absolutely. 
Warriors coach Steve Kerr is leaving the door open on Klay Thompson playing at some point of this season. After previously saying that it was unlikely that the sharpshooter would play. What do you make of Kerr comments? It's hard to, it's hard to tell uh, what exactly is going to go on with Klay Thompson as the season progresses uh, based on his flip-flop comments. Uh, I can only assume that perhaps uh, if the Golden State Warriors can sneak into the playoffs, maybe we'll see a healthy Klay Thompson then. Michigan State's ranked number one in the preseason men's college basketball AP poll. Is that well-deserved? I wouldn't say well-deserved, but I would say deserved nonetheless. I mean, it is a preseason poll, so we got to actually watch them play first. So I say deserved nonetheless. Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen has been ruled out for tomorrow's night game against the Redskins. I'm pretty confident that the Vikings can survive without him. What do you think? Yeah, the Redskins aren't very good, and as long as Kirk Cousins doesn't uh, show up and uh, wind up allergic to primetime football, the Vikings should be fine. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes practiced today less than one week after dislocating his right kneecap. It's a good sign, right? Good sign on the recovery, but I'm hoping I don't see him limping around trying to play this week. So, But it is a good sign that he's recovering well, so it's good for the, the, the Chiefs in the future. The Cubs hired former Major League catcher David Ross as their next manager. Good hire? Yeah, man. I mean, he's a he's a guy that won a title with the Chicago Cubs back in 2016. He's he's well regarded, well respected. Uh, doesn't have any managerial experience though, and I think there were more proven guys on the open market that I probably would have went with. Last one: Nuggets and Blazers open their respective seasons tonight in a rematch of last year's Western Conference semifinals. Who you got, Drink? I'm going to take the Joker and the Nuggets. You know what it is. Anytime a dude name is the Joker, you got to take them serious. So I'm going to go on here to take him tonight. All right, guys. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinking. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. I'll let you until next time.